So our contractor's in there, he's ripping this all out. He submitted the permits to the city. And then we get an email like a month later that it was denied. And we have invested a lot of money in this deal. We have friends, we have family members invested in this deal. Like when I read that email, I see like my stomach, my heart dropped to my stomach. Like I seriously felt like I was going to throw up. Like I just, I couldn't believe it. I was so shocked. As an operator, I know other investors are romanticizing multifamily investing, and I'm looking to learn from other investors' mistakes. I know you are too, and you found the right place. Welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've got the grand pleasure of having Savannah Royo with me today. Did I get it right? I, you sure did. You almost, nailed it. Yes. <laughs> always get like antsy because I'm like, ah, I know Savannah. She's a net worth nurse. But do I? Ah, the last name, she leaves it off. Anyway, so before we dive in, Savannah, tell the listeners how they can get in contact with you. Yeah, definitely. So the Net Worth Nurse, you, my website's the Net Worth Nurse. I'm uh, listed as the Net Worth Nurse under all social media handles. So Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Instagram. My email is Savannah at the Net Worth Nurse. I love connecting with people interested in real estate. So please reach out. Ooh, she said, reach out, guys. <laughs> I don't know if you're going to do it, but she says she wants to talk to you. Maybe you want to talk to her after you hear this story. So Savannah, do us a favor and just let's talk about your journey. Like, how did you get to the place where you are? Because you've closed a few deals in a short amount of time. Yeah, definitely. I grew up in Sacramento, California. That's where I was raised. I went to Sacramento State University right out of high school and started working on my nursing degree. So graduated from Sacramento State University with my bachelor's in nursing, started working in a couple different specialties within healthcare and naturally started gravitating towards leadership positions and different leadership roles. So I ended up going back to school to get my master's degree in nursing leadership and administration. Uh, so right now, I and then I've transitioned into Los Angeles, California. So right now I oversee multiple departments at a hospital here in LA, doing a lot more administrative operations stuff within the healthcare system. I uh, got into real estate investing at the beginning of last year. <clears throat> I was on maternity leave with my second daughter and my husband and I just started looking for ways we could start investing our money besides a 401k, 403b. We were putting a big chunk of our paychecks, like 15 to 20% towards our retirement. And it just felt a little bit defeating that we couldn't touch this money until we were 65. And so we wanted to look for investment strategies to start putting money into our pockets now. And we stumbled upon real estate for obvious reasons. It's one of the best strategies out there to make this work and started learning, learning, binging podcasts, reading books. And we got started investing in single family homes. And then shortly after just wanting to scale a business and scale our portfolio, we switched into multifamily syndications. So that's currently what we're doing right now is multifamily syndications. Oh my goodness. And how many have you done so far? We are on our third one. So we started with a 12 unit, closed on a 24 unit a few weeks ago, and then um, closing on an 18 unit next month. 
Oh, that's sexy. I call that getting tuned in the boat, ladies and gentlemen. She got the 12 <laughs> to 24 to 18. You don't hear her talking about 180 right off the bat. There's a good reason why she's doing that. She's getting deals done. So just to let you know, you can still buy deals in this market, even though a lot of people say you can't. So Savannah, have all those deals gone exactly as you planned for them to go? No, <laughs> that unfortunately doesn't always happen, right? I mean, we're constantly navigating through different obstacles for sure in all our deals. Um, it's actually super funny. I've been on podcasts and I always get asked that and things I just... I think because I don't dwell on all the obstacles and the challenges that come up that when people ask me that question, I'm like, oh yeah, things are going great. But then this last deal, specifically the 24 unit that we were closing on, I made it a point to specifically write down all the obstacles that were coming up. Like it felt like seriously on a daily basis, just so I could have a list to look back on and be like, oh, these are the challenges that we're overcoming. Just with us, we don't focus on them too much. So it doesn't feel as heavy when we kind of move on and move forward. Wow. Okay. And so it was that a long list or was it pretty smooth <laughs> on the 20? <laughs> oh, yes, it was long. Yeah, definitely. I mean, through the closing phase of like even just capital raising, different things that came up with our lender, with our lawyer, um, people pulling out of the raise, having to raise additional capital, things coming up at the due diligence phase that we were then negotiating credits with the seller. So yeah, there there was quite a few things that did come up. Okay. And so I guess where I want to go is what was the biggest takeaway or what was the biggest lesson learned or something that you want to do? And wait, before we go there, if you guys aren't paying attention, this is an opportunity for you to get a nugget that we don't actually talk about all that much. And that is continuous improvement. So she realizes that she's going to go through these deals over and over again. And I imagine she's putting things in place so that those things don't happen to her again. But I'm sure that you had at least one, and I don't know if it was on this last deal or the first deal, but you were telling me a little bit about a unit that was maybe like storage and you were going to make it a studio or something. Can we talk about how that thing unraveled? Because that one's probably going to be a good learning for people because I suspect that you probably trusted somebody instead of verifying. Definitely. I'm going to give you all the goods on that one. So that was our first syndication deal. It was a 12 unit up in Oregon. Uh, we are in a coaching mentorship program. So we had someone who was overlooking all our underwriting. We were creating relationships with brokers. So we found a really good deal. And when the deal was originally presented to us from the broker, there was a lot of upside and value add in below market rents. But there was also this opportunity to turn a storage unit into a studio unit to really just skyrocket that NOI. It seemed perfect for us, right? And it was a the broker um, was saying, oh yeah, the um, previous seller, he had vetted out this opportunity at one point. He just never pulled the trigger on it, but it's, it's completely doable from a permit licensing standpoint. And then we're like, okay, cool. So our coach was like, okay, make sure you vet it out. People say this all the time. Make sure you really like vet out the ability to do that. So we were working with a contracting team and we told them multiple times, Hey, this is what we plan to do with the unit. Like our deal really thrives on the ability to do this. If we're not able to convert the storage unit into a studio unit, honestly, we might not just buy this deal. So we stressed it very much to our contractor. Our broker knew we were going in and doing this. So we felt like in the property management company that we talked to that was going to take over this building, we very much emphasized that to them as well. Like, Hey, are you going to be able to oversee this whole renovation project? So we felt like everyone 
everyone was on board and that we made it very clear that this is what we were going to be doing with the project. And our contractor at the time was just like, yeah, that's fine. He went, he came and did the due diligence with us. He walked the space. He was like, yeah, this isn't going to be a problem. We're going to definitely be able to turn this storage space into a studio unit. We're like, cool, perfect. Move forward, close on the deal. We start going through the motions after we close on the deal to start getting the storage space ready for this conversion into a studio unit. So we're ripping out all the storage, like their rinky dink little fenced off storage units that are in the space now that some of the tenants were renting out um, for pretty cheap. So our contractor's in there, he's ripping this all out. He submitted the permits to the city. And then we get an email like a month later that it was denied. And we have invested a lot of money in this deal. We have friend, we have family members invested in this deal. Like when I read that email, I ser- like my stom- my heart dropped to my stomach. Like I seriously felt like I was going to throw up. Like <laughs> I just, I couldn't believe it. I was so shocked. And like immediately I was at the hospital, you know, stepped outside, called my husband. I'm like, what the hell's going on? Like, w- like what did we miss? Like, I felt like we had went through all the motions to prevent something like this from happening. We got a coach. We asked multiple people if we could make this work. Like, where did we go wrong? Like, I just, I was so frustrated. Like we've literally felt so defeated and we did vent to each other for a bit. And then it was just kind of like, all right, like we need to go from here. We need to go start making this right. Like we need to figure out what plan B is. And I mean, our investors come first. So if anything happened to their returns, we were definitely willing and like thinking of the fact like, okay, we'll just have to take a cut if this is going to really affect our investors' returns and kind of rework the numbers so that the percentage equities kind of split differently so that our investors can still hit the returns because that was like priority for us. But as we were going through it, of course, we called our contractor, like what, like what happened? I think he felt very like incompetent for sure. I think he felt bad, but it honestly wasn't enough to keep that relationship going. So we ended up firing him and using a different contractor moving forward. I mean, it was just, I felt very ridiculous that this happened. And so really just kind of recovering from that, it was figuring out a plan D B, which was the now converting storage units into it again, even though we just ripped them all off, but they were really bad ones anyway. So we put really nice ones in there and we're still able to get really good income on the storage units. And then now we're not dumping all those expenses into it to renovate it. You know, we were looking at $30,000 to rent the renovate the space. It cost us $5,000 to put really nice storage units in there. So we've kind of offset some of our expenses that way. And then my husband just underwrites all our deals super conservatively. So for him, he wasn't like, we weren't collecting rent on this studio unit for the whole first year. So the fact that we were able to get storage units in there within four months, like we're still now recovering from all that. And so our returns end up being the same, which is amazing, but it was a very hard lesson to learn. Oh my geez. And so what was the reason for the denial on being able to activate the unit? So it was the square footage of the actual property and the land, the square footage of the lot. It only served the ability to have 12 units, which is what the building had, which makes sense now because 
where we were converting that storage unit, it was literally under a two, a two story unit. So it looked like it was ideal to turn it. It was like, kind of like, why did they never convert it into a unit to begin with? It seems like such a like waste of space because it was like the exact same setup as the studio unit above it. It was like, why did they turn it into storage to begin with? So now it kind of makes sense. Like, oh, they were probably stopped at one point and told you can only have 12 units on this property. Okay. And have you considered rezoning it? Because that's a zoning issue. We So that was kind of one of the first steps that our contractors started going through of like him trying to save face, I guess, was like going through the motions of like, okay, what can we do to kind of save this? And the city that it's at, it's kind of like, you know, a smaller coastal town up in Oregon. There was just no way. He was told very much upfront, like, yeah, there's, you're not going to make this happen. So think of something else. A lot of people want to be profitable multifamily operators but lack the knowledge, deal flow, experience, and capital to be successful. They often try to overcome these challenges out of order, slowing or eliminating their ability to get their next deal done. We've developed a framework that allows them to gain the knowledge they need to find profitable deals. When they do, they create the time and location freedom, as well as the generational wealth they desire for their family. The Myers methods of multifamily investing have proved to be the fastest way to establish credibility and properly grow an apartment portfolio. If you want to know more about our four-step process, jump over to MyersMethods.com to get our free four-step guide to getting into multifamily investing. Let's get back to the episode. Oh my geez. <laughs> it seems like they would at least let him take the it would take his money for the zoning application at least to get a review. But okay, that's wow. Ouch. And I mean, the craziest part about all of that is that was something that you could have known beforehand just because the zoning didn't change. So that's really interesting that both the broker and the contractor didn't pay attention to that. That is no, no, no fun. So did I understand correctly that you're able to still get as much revenue from, or at least net revenue, I guess we should talk about NOI, yeah. by doing the storage versus having the unit online and being able to charge rent for it? Yeah. So just because of the way, well, not not as much revenue every month. No, the income is different, but our returns at the exit of three years have been are going to be the same because... Uh, the way my husband underwrote the deal of not collecting rent for that f- whole first year. And because of the drastic drop in money that we're now putting in to actually repair the storage unit, that those two numbers kind of offset the returns of what we were expecting to do. And so the returns have remained this- the same because we were looking at originally put $30,000. We're only putting $5,000. We were planning out our underwriting to not collect rent, which would have been $690 a month for the whole first year. But now at four months, we're collecting. So we have seven storage units in there collecting $70 a month, 490 starting at year four. So just the way the numbers worked, it offset those returns so that they remained pretty much the same. You're actually going to make more money doing the storage because you couldn't run your unit for the the Delta. Yeah. So that net operating income is going to be higher than this is a great thing. <laughs> I know. It sounded I, like a misstep, but this is amazing because. But it hurt so bad. It stung yeah. so bad. You know, my father, like, we have family members investing in the deal. We're investing such a big chunk. Like, for it to kind of fail like that and get thrown in, into our face, it was like, 
very painful. Like it's still a little painful to talk about, to be honest. But yeah, I mean, when my husband ended up doing the numbers later after we were like super upset and he was like messing with the numbers on our spreadsheet, he was like, Oh, like we're going to be fine. This is okay. And it just goes to show like him underwriting it so conservatively to begin with is really what saved us. But yeah, I mean, it's not going to hurt us as bad in the long run. And that's something that we had to explain to our investors. And we did. So we did, even when we went to go do like our first investor, um, communication after that we do we do qu- quarterly communications with our investors and we get in front of a camera and just do like a quick 20 minutes of like hey this is what's going on with the property we just like being face to face with them in that respect to kind of make it a little bit personal and honestly even getting in front of the camera and telling like our like four investors of family and friends that like this is what happened with the property was not embarrassing but it was very humbling that's for sure yeah so the friends and family are going to give you more grace than a stranger, though. And so I think you're absolutely doing it the right way. And so what was their response when you told it to them, even though you were mortified? So we haven't actually gotten like direct response from them specifically about it. But we do have another deal coming up right now that we're about to start raising for. And a couple of them are interested in raising or investing in that deal. So I was like, oh, well, then I guess they might have not bugged them that much. Well, I think the beautiful thing that you did was you fixed the problem. You told them what the issue was. You came up with the solution. You told them how it was going to impact them. And when you add those things together, I mean, people can get okay with it because they are just really looking to plan their life, right? And you've given them the fact that you've got it under control. So I think it's outstanding. Have you, how have you changed the process now so that, you know, something like this won't ever happen again? I guess just, so for us, it was going to be asking more questions and holding our contractor more accountable instead of just maybe assuming that they know what they're doing. I mean, it's honestly... They, he has over 20 plus years experience doing this. He's working specifically in this market, working with this, this city, pulling, pulling permits on a lot of other jobs that he's done. So it was very frustrating to find out that he really didn't do the footwork on it. So I guess just trusting professionals. I mean, I think that's, and that was our first deal. So, I mean, now after doing a couple of deals and we've developed a team that we have existing relationships with, it helps a little bit, but even our broker too, because we've done three deals, like all three syndication deals we've done with the same broker. So we were already under contract with the second and third deal when we found this out about the first deal. And we kind of, we went to him and we're like, Hey, you know, you told us this, like, we really much trust you. We want to keep this relationship going, but you know, that wasn't cool. Like this, this could have potentially hurt us. You know, we have, we're raising money and it was, it was the opportunity for a very open conversation with him of just, you know, and he was, He didn't know, you know, he's claiming he didn't know that. So it was kind of just an opportunity for us to have a very open conversation with everyone involved. (laughs) Open and direct. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, I canceled all my contracts. Give me a new broker. No. (laughs) Right. Okay. So I guess the final question for you, Savannah, is what words of wisdom do you have for our listeners? I think don't be afraid to interrogate your team. I think it can be difficult starting off. I mean, that was our first deal when you're looking, especially investing out of state. So hiring a property management team, a contractor team, a team that you're expecting to kind of run your business plan for your investment. 
not being afraid to ask them a hundred questions and feel like you're almost interrogating them. Because I think for us going out, it's like, oh, okay. Our property management team has 20 plus years experience. They know what they're doing. They have experience doing all this, but I think it's important to ask them very specific questions or, or even asking them like, you know, what's one of the biggest mistakes you've made at your job. Like that's a humbling experience. Like I have some investors who are looking to invest with me and they ask me like, you know, what's the hardest lesson you've learned in one of your investment properties. And that's a hard question to answer. But if you're working with someone who's transparent and honest, like they have stories to tell. All of us have been through it. All of us have encountered a rough learning lesson or a situation like that, that we have learned from. So it's important to share that with people for sure. Man, this is awesome. Thank you so much for sharing this. I, I haven't had been down this road before. I'm yeah, I haven't been down this road before. We've rezoned stuff, but I haven't heard anybody say I tried and it didn't work out. So ladies and gentlemen, make sure that you got the right zoning for the business plan that you're getting ready to execute without question. Before you close, don't do it after you close. Make sure you do it before you close. And so with that, to the listeners, you heard it from Savannah. Make sure you do all the legwork and don't trust. Trust and verify. Until the next time, the pack is with you. We'll talk soon. You made it to this juncture, so you really love what we shared on this episode of Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a review and share this with somebody who's interested in multifamily investing. Until the next time, the pack is with you.